and we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. The month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and it is really important that we uh, take a moment uh, during the morning show to talk about mental illness, the impact that it has on so many people's lives, that we maybe try to lay aside some of the misassumptions that we make about mental illness and that we highlight the great work that is done by NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I'm really happy to welcome into our studios for the first time today Lisa Zanin, who is co-president with Janet DeLeo of the Kenosha chapter of NAMI. And uh, Lisa is here to talk about the organization itself uh, and about her own connection to uh, this issue of mental illness and mental illness uh, awareness. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of the important events that uh, are coming up for NAMI in the, the next couple of months, and most notably uh, an event that is occurring tomorrow evening, NAMI's annual vigil uh, with a reception at the Bridges Community Center uh, and vigil at the uh, Civic Center Park beginning at 6 p.m. Uh, so, Lisa Zanin, we welcome you to the morning show. Well, thank you, Greg. I'm really excited to be here, and um, th- just thank you for having me and um, giving me an opportunity to talk about one of my passions. Mm. It's great to have you here and great to meet you here today for the uh, first time. Uh, so, first of all, uh, for, for any of uh, the sake of any of our listeners who aren't directly acquainted with NAMI, although I'm I'm thinking by now there probably aren't too many people out there who don't have at least a sense of of NAMI's mission. Uh, I think it would be great to hear that from you in your own words. Uh, describe the organization of NAMI and uh, its most important purpose or purposes. All right, I can do that. (laughs) NAMI uh, does stand for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And here um, in Kenosha, we are called the Kenosha County Affiliate. So there's a national um, organization, a state organization, and then we represent the county of Kenosha. And uh, we are a nonprofit all-volunteer organization here in Kenosha, and we, our purpose is to be a voice for all of those who are living in recovery with mental illness and their families and friends. And we do this uh, through our mission, which is threefold. We uh, have all kinds of education programs. We have support programs and advocacy. And advocacy is um, one of uh, the events, as you mentioned, that we will be uh, putting on this Wednesday. It's our annual vigil, and we do it every May in Mental Health Awareness Month. And we are excited this year to have as our keynote speaker our very own Miss Kenosha 2019, Lily Carnes. And she will be telling her story, which she's been quite public about in her um, challenge living with depression and anxiety. Mm. Very good. I know that uh, you are passionate about NAMI because of some kind of personal connection to this issue and 
concern. Tell our listeners about that. Uh, tell tell our listeners about the way in which mental illness has been a part of your own family's life. Well, I came to NAMI probably about 12 years ago. And I have in my family a family member who deals with mental health challenges on a daily basis. And initially, it was very hard to come to terms with this illness, uh, but that's exactly what it is. It's an illness. It's very challenging for our family and very challenging for our family member. But we do deal with it, and we we discovered a lot of hope and support through NAMI. And I think anybody dealing with any illness finds that's what they need. And it, it has really uh, helped me personally to give back to the community. And this is a way that I can do it. I feel passionate about this topic, and I feel that I can help other people. And it's that, that story about uh, if you can help one person, if you can uh, pick up that starfish on the shore and throw it back in mm. and give someone else hope, then that helps me just as much. Mm. Had you ever really known anybody directly in your life dealing with mental illness until this family member uh, began suffering from something? Or was this a first for you? Actually, it was a first for me. I really didn't have anybody uh, that I was directly aware of. Um, however, as we talked about it in our family, on both sides of our family, and um more and more people were disclosing then that they had other family members uh, had been dealing with mental health challenges as well. So um, I feel that was a, a good and healthy thing for our family to start talking about it um, because stigma is alive and well mm. in this day and age. And um, the only way that we are going to combat stigma and decrease it is through education and talking about it. That's the only way. Right. Mm -hmm. I know that you uh, brought some statistics with you about the per how pervasive mental illness is, uh, at least in uh, uh, American society today, and uh, some of those numbers are pretty staggering, aren't they? They are pretty staggering, Greg. Uh, one in five adults in America will experience a mental illness in any given year. And when I learned that, I was very surprised to find out how common and, as you said, pervasive it is in our society. Um, nearly one in 25 or 10 million adults in America live with a serious mental illness. Again, a huge number, staggering number. And one half of all chronic mental illness begins by the age of 14. And this is a whole nother topic that I'm passionate about uh, as I was a teacher for many, many years. Mm. And so when I hear that young people are suffering and 
the adults around them do not understand what's happening to them, uh, it gives me pause. And I think about that. I did not realize how many young people were affected. This is really um, starts at a young age, typically between ages of 15 and 25. And so we need to spread the word and get the word out that the young people do not have to be silent about this. And when they are ha experiencing a crisis or a mental health condition, they should ask for help. And the adults around them should take notice and help them. I'm just curious, the family member that we were talking about, uh, at what age did he or she begin to uh, deal with their particular problem? Well, he began to show symptoms uh, about age 15 mm. that we were aware of, and we uh, tried to get him help immediately, but it actually was a different family member that um, convinced him to go and get help. And so we we ended up in the emergency room. Right. And, of course, that's one of the problems here, too, is that uh, in, in some cases the person suffering from the difficulty uh, is not in a position to understand what's, what's going on and uh, exactly. not in a position to, in a sense, advocate for themselves and or accept treatment that is so necessary. It's, it's a layer of complexity on all this that a lot of us – don't begin to understand until we've maybe had to deal with it ourselves. That's exactly right, Craig. I, uh, I did not understand how complex an issue uh, chronic mental illness is until I experienced it in my own family. And now I truly do understand that uh, the person suffering many, many times does not understand how ill they are. And that's just what is happening. Their brain is not letting them understand that they are ill. Hmm. What else would you say you uh, have learned about mental illness and kind of the nature of mental illness by experience it, experiencing it in this way? What are some aspects of mental illness that just never dawned on you or never occurred to you until you had to kind of experience this uh, yourself directly? Well, besides being so complex and being actually being a brain illness, uh, another two other issues that come to mind are co-occurring issues, and that is um, addiction, alcoholism, and other drug addiction, and how prevalent that is uh, in the group of people that are dealing with a, a chronic mental health condition, and that's because they are trying to self-medicate. And in trying to self-medicate, they do tamp down some of the symptoms, uh, but actually, in reality, over time, it makes it worse. Mm -hmm. And there's more and more uh, issues um, that they have to deal with, and um, some sometimes criminal issues and now they're involved in the court system. Uh, so that was one, one thing that I, it never occurred to me, I didn't, didn't know about it, um, but now I do. <laughs> and uh, another issue uh, has to deal with suicide. I did not realize that 90% of those who die by suicide, and by the way, that is the phraseology we're using now, die mm. by suicide, mm. not commit suicide. Interesting. Yeah. 
So uh, those 90% of those who die by suicide have an underlying mental health illness. And suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., 10th. To me, a suicide is preventable. It really, if the person can get effective treatment, it is preventable. And so the 10th leading cause of death, should that should not be there. It should not be happening. Mm. Um, but uh, again, it's only going to be a statistic on the decrease if we talk about it. If we talk about it and educate ourselves and our community, um, then we can. We that's the first step right. in awareness. And of course, that can lead to what we can, would hope would be increased access to help, because that's of course uh, another issue that is very difficult in all of this. Is that uh, treatment is not always uh, easily accessible uh, or affordable or. Uh, Right, attainable in any way, right? right. And it, that that truly is a problem uh, that uh, we have to fix in this uh, society, in this country where we live, uh, because it is a, across the country. Just one issue we have underlying all that is um, the number of psychiatrists. The number of psychiatrists that are available across this nation um, are very limited. Right. And I understand that the number that specialize in mental illness for young people is shockingly limited. Yes. And there just aren't nearly enough to, to really adequately cope with uh, all of the all of the, the young people uh, suffering out there right now. That, that is absolutely true, um, that there are the... Uh, Pediatric psychiatrists are extremely limited. Um, we just have actually a few in Wisconsin, um, and most of them are clustered in the major metropolitan areas. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that says that mental illness is limited to metropolitan areas. It's, uh, it's, it's everywhere, and of course it, it has no discrimination when it comes to... Uh, Race or or ethnicity or, uh, the, uh, or socioeconomic level or a- any of uh, yeah gender yeah. no it is an it indiscriminate attacker isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're speaking today with Lisa Zanin, co-president of the Kenosha chapter of NAMI, the National Alliance uh, uh, on Mental Illness. Uh, NAMI is very busy working on behalf of this issue in a lot of different ways, and uh, it's really interesting to see uh, all of the. Uh, activities in which you have already been uh, active over uh, the, the, the beginning of, of 2019, including this really intriguing uh, activity called CIT, Crisis Intervention Team Training. Uh, explain to our listeners what this is about. Well, this is uh, a very exciting area of um, NAMI's involvement in the community, and this particular training, CIT, is for law enforcement. So any type of law enforcement um, in our county, so that would be sheriff, Kenosha Police Department, uh, uh, Parkside Police Department, and so on, can be involved in this and have been involved. Um, It's for volunteers at this point, um, and those Uh, law enforcement officers that would like to be trained in crisis intervention, 
they can do that through a week's worth of training put on as a partnership between Gateway and uh, NAMI and other individuals in our community. And it's really, it's very comprehensive. There's uh, Dr. David Mays that comes from uh, Milwaukee. Uh, Dr. Eileen Abrams comes. They present research. They talk about how important it is for um, the officers non-verbally to approach a situation where there's a person in crisis Mm. um, and deal with, um, they do that through role playing. So it's very it's very well done. Um, we've been doing it for for quite a while. This is our um, number ten episode uh, that we just finished. Um, and one of the new aspects for CIT is that we just had a class of uh, academy graduates from the police academy took this training. And so these are very, very young, new uh, graduates, um, and they will go out into the different police departments and different uh, sheriff department and have, um, have this training behind them. So it's wonderful to think that they can, um, they can approach someone who's in crisis and use this training immediately. Mm, it's just fantastic. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, chances are a, a lot of very difficult and sometimes even tragic situations can be avoided mm-hmm. uh, if if exactly. if if, the, if people who are intervening in in some of these difficult situations have have a sense of mm-hmm. this person is probably mentally ill and here are the most effective ways to deal with them in this exactly. point of crisis. Um, something else on your list of completed activities is something I don't remember hearing about before. Uh, it looks like you have a, a special support group uh, at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Tell our listeners about that. Okay. This is, again, near and dear to my heart. Um, we are so happy this past year to have been on, past academic year, to been on the um, Parkside campus. So this is a partnership with NAMI Kenosha County and another group on campus. This is a group of students uh, that are involved in Active Minds. Hmm. And Active Minds is, um, as I said, on campus, uh, and they are um, all about mental health awareness, right, just like NAMI. So it (laughs) made sense for us to partner with them. And... One of the um, the gals in leadership uh, through Active Minds, uh, along with our leadership, got together and decided, yes, we would like to have a support group on campus. And this is for mental young people dealing with mental health challenges, but not just Parkside students. It mm. can be any young person in Kenosha County. So uh, just two weeks ago, I believe now, we had um, some Carthage young people come over and take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful to see that you know any, any young person can come and um, have a confidential, trusting environment where they can um, talk about their own personal issues. Wow. I noticed also in some of what you brought about uh, the support groups that NAMI uh, organizes that you have support groups for 
people themselves dealing with mental illness, and you have support groups for the people who love them or care for them. And uh, and I had never stopped to think about how important that would be because we're really talking about, in a sense, two different experiences tightly related, but it really makes sense for a support group to exist for for the one and for the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, for each of those support groups to, 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 to exist. Right. Greg, you had asked me at the beginning of this interview how I came to not, how I came uh, to understand mental health challenges, and then how I came to NAMI was I I did attend a support group, and I found understanding, I found compassion, I found hope, I found a whole nother family, really, mm-hmm. and uh, it is so very very important for the people who are. Living in recovery, again, another phrase that we use, living in recovery and dealing with mental health challenges, they need their own support group where they can be understood and um, held, held in esteem. And then we also need another one for family and friends um, who need to vent frustration <laughs> because that is that is a place you can do that and trust that it will stay your your venting will stay right there right yeah. well and you're venting <laughs> with people who have been there and uh-huh. understand exactly what you're what you're talking about exactly. and uh, are not prone to judge uh, when some of those things get said that just have to be said because they're feelings that are being felt. Exactly, exactly. One thing I want to mention about the support groups, and these are all of them, including the Parkside support group, is they are all free. They're all free to anyone in um, Kenosha County, and sometimes we have them coming from Racine County as well, but it's all free to the public, and no one has to um, pay a fee for that service. Can you also explain the thing called F2F, family to family? What are these classes about? Sure, I can explain that. Um, I'm actually a teacher of this program and the coordinator, so I Mm. I do know this one quite well. (laughs) Family to family is a 12-week course, and it is put on by NAMI. We have one class going on in the city and one class going on in the county simultaneously. Uh, each year, we start this in January and end in April, and it's v- a very comprehensive class. It's everything you ever wanted to know about mental health challenges, oh. um, and it it really does it. We delve into how the brain works or doesn't work. Uh, medications, we talk about that. We talk about um, care for the caregiver. We talk about um, advocacy. We talk about many, many different kinds of topics, uh, all related to uh, an individual or a family's uh, crisis with their their loved one in mental health situation. And um, we we just completed. Um, obviously, we completed it in April. Uh, we had 19 members complete in the city and 15 in the county. And we were really happy. Again, a free service that we put on for the community. Um, and we hope to continue to do it year after year. Well, we're speaking with Lisa Zanin, co-president of NAMI. And uh, by the way, we want to mention the website of, of uh, NAMI of Kenosha County, which is namikenosha.org. So N-A-M-I-Kenosha.org. And there is 
a whole lot of information that is available there. And uh, anybody intrigued by what we are talking about today should be sure to to uh, to seek that out. Before we talk about tomorrow night's uh, vigil, I want to make sure to give you a, a, a couple of minutes to talk about this business of advocacy and the fact that uh, it is important not just for the general public to have a greater understanding of mental illness and its impact, but also that our political leaders need to have a greater understanding of that. Uh, what What is sort of the nature of that kind of advocacy that NAMI is doing? And do you have any sense that the needle is moving, that uh, our political well. leaders are becoming more sensitive and, and concerned about this? Uh, I do think overall there is uh, a better awareness. We are decreasing stigma somewhat, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, our political leaders, as probably you and your listeners know, um, hold the purse strings. And uh, that is a lot of our advocacy business is um, directed toward those politicians and the budget. And mm-hmm. that is where we will, um, we have been making um, strides in, in inroads toward uh, understanding that a lot of our issues that we have in our community can are tied to mental health challenges and or addiction. And so if you put the money there up front, that you down the road will have less problems in these mm. areas. Um, so I do think some politicians understand that and uh, understand that very well. Um, and then there are others that we need to continue to to advocate and have them have them understand it better. Right. So the work goes on. <laughs> yes, the work goes on. Absolutely. Let's talk about tomorrow night's event, which we've already mentioned. It is the annual uh, vigil. And uh, uh, explain exactly where it is going to be happening and uh, what people will experience if they uh, attend it. All right. Uh, well, we're going to begin at 5 p.m. Uh, with a reception of um, some food and uh, social gathering at Bridges Community Center. That's downtown Kenosha on 7th Avenue. And then at 6 p.m., we'll move over to Civic Center Park. And uh, we'll be there about 40 minutes or so. And there are several things going on there. We'll have a welcome by our MC, uh, my co-president, Janet. And then um, the Wilson School Choir will provide a little entertainment for us with two songs. They did a fabulous job last year. Just a shout out to them. Mm -hmm. And I know they will again this year. Uh, And then uh, we have our awards, which we give out every year. We have uh, three awards, David Wagner Mental Health Award, our Community Service Award, and our Exceptional Volunteer Award. Um, And your listeners will just have to come out to find out who (laughs) are the recipients of those awards. Fair enough. And then our um, we we end with our uh, keynote speaker, and that is Miss Kenosha 2019, our very own Lily Carnes, and she will be describing her own journey with her own mental health challenges. Very good. 
I know that you want to just take a moment to very quickly highlight a couple of other events that are coming up this summer, and and people can, of course, read more about them uh, on on NAMI's website. But go ahead and mention a a couple of the most important. All right. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Yes, we do have uh, several fundraisers coming up this summer. Um, which are all tied to advocacy. So we really are hitting that hard this summer. That's one of our goals. We want to get the word out about NAMI. So on June 11th, we will be at the Culver's on Sheridan Road at 5 p.m. Come on out, have your dinner, and um, help us fundraise for NAMI. Then another one, we have another one going on in July July 19th, we are partnering with the nursing students at Herzing University. They have an event called You Be the Light, which is a walk, a health fair, and speakers. Um, And that starts um, at 5 p.m. on 39th Avenue at the Union Hall building. And then um, a third fundraiser will be later in July, the very next week, and this is our annual fundraiser. We are at Tenuta's Deli and Market. Uh, shout out to Ralph Tenuta. Thank you so much for letting us be there. And uh, we are outside uh, the doors um, near the parking lot, and we are raising awareness about mental health issues and fundraising mm-hmm. on that weekend. So, and then finally, um, we ha- we do socialize once in a while, <laughs> and we are getting together on uh, for our summer picnic on July seventeenth. And again, that that will be all the details of that will be on the website. Very good. And I was glad to see that your goals for uh, for the remainder of this year and beyond are not just in general to uh, increase awareness of NAMI throughout uh, Kenosha County but also that you would like to have more of a presence on the, the campus of Carthage College, which happens to be where I teach. And, uh, and, and I know for a fact that, uh, that Carthage is no more immune to, to this issue and this difficulty than, than, than any other college campus. And it really is important that more and more resources are, are made available and that students uh, feel more and more uh, open to the possibility of seeking out the help uh, that that so many of them need. So I'm glad to see that that is one of your goals. That is that is one of our goals for this year. And we are making strides. We've been in um, Dr. Elliott's uh, classroom. She's invited us. She's the uh, director of nursing um, on the Carthage campus. And so we've been um, speaking in her classrooms. And we also just welcomed to our board, Alex Munoz, and Alex is a Carthage College student. So we are really happy to have her on board, and she's going to help us a lot. Fantastic. So if people are intrigued by anything that they have heard us talk about today, uh, there are a lot of different ways in which they can reach out to uh, NAMI, including the the aforementioned website, namikenosha.org. But Mm -hmm. uh, tell them about a couple of the other ways in which they can connect with NAMI. Well, for sure, they can call us. Um, Our phone number is 262-652-3606. So that's one way. Uh, They could write to us if they would like to. Um, uh, The P.O. Box 631, um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, 53141. 
uh, or they can get on the Facebook uh, page, uh, NAMI uh, Kenosha um, on Facebook. Very good. So that's another way. Well, Lisa Zanin, it's great to meet you today and uh, great to see that uh, NAMI of Kenosha County is in such capable hands after, of course, for many years being under the uh, the leadership of, of Jack Rose, who's been on the morning show any number of times. And I was glad to hear that Jack is still a oh, uh, tireless <laughs> worker for uh, NAMI of Kenosha County. But uh, uh, he has handed off the reins to someone very capable, you and your co-president, Janet DeLeo. And uh, we hope a lot of people will turn out for tomorrow night's uh, annual vigil. Again, the reception at Bridges Community Center at 5 p.m., and then the vigil itself at Civic Center Park beginning at 6 p.m. with uh, this year's Miss Kenosha, Lily Carnes, telling her own story as the keynote speaker. Lisa Zanin, thank you so much for being here on The Morning Show. This is an important topic that I promise we will revisit again and again, and I know that we will have you back on The Morning Show any number of times. And I thank you for being a part of The Morning Show today. Best wishes to you and everybody at NAMI. Thank you so much, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. To finish out today's morning show, I want to replay for you an interview from the archives recorded way back in 2005 with Paul Rayburn, a former writer for Business Week magazine and the author of a very powerful and poignant memoir called Acquainted with the Night, A Parent's Quest to Understand Depression and Bipolar Disorder in His Children. In this book, Paul Rayburn talks about what it was like to help both his son and his daughter contend with serious mental illness. It's interesting. It it almost seems, in a sense, inevitable that you would sit down to write in some way uh, about this very powerful and important experience in your life, and yet it could not have been an easy thing to uh, undertake. Just tell us about that decision and how you weighed whether or not to share with the public uh, such a painful personal story. Yeah, I think uh, I had done, I had covered science and medicine and related things for many years at Business Week and at the Associated Press before that, but always in the normal way that journalists do with sort of objectivity and a certain detachment and, and so forth. And uh, when my kids began having problems, um, I um, initially I went through a long period where I didn't want to accept the fact that I really was dealing with uh, a mental illness in my son Alex, who was the first of of them to get sick. And so I tried to pretend it away, to wish it away, to do all the things I could uh, to uh, to hope that it would just go away somehow on its own, which of course, like any other illness, uh, it's, it's there and it needs to be addressed and treated. So it wasn't going to go away. Um, and I began to have actually more and more trouble trying to, trying to keep a hold on my job at Business Week. Uh, magazine jobs are difficult jobs with long hours and um, and I was running off to doctors and uh, to meet with school officials and teachers, and it, it was becoming difficult. Um, and and I, I began to find that uh, this was no longer something that I could deny or try to wish away. Uh, it was part of my life. And, uh, and furthermore, um, Alex wasn't getting the help he needed. We were seeing local doctors. The insurance company wasn't covering things that seemed like they should be covered. Uh, when we first sought help for him, there was not a single child psychiatrist on the insurance company's preferred provider list. And uh, and at the time, I was lived about 25 miles from Times Square in New York City, must have 
more psychiatrists, one would think, than any place in the known universe, but uh, couldn't find a child psychiatrist on the insurance company list. And, you know, through a series of events like that, I realized that the only way he was going to get help is if I really tried to turn my reporter skills uh, to this problem and, uh, and see what kind of connections I could make, who I could find. And from there, um, you know, as I got more and more wrapped up and more and more involved, suddenly I had a thought that maybe this was something I could write about. Maybe other families could benefit from hearing uh, what was happening to us and uh, both the good things that happened, the bad things that happened, the mistakes, the, the triumphs, and all of those things. One thing that's quite interesting is that your two children who suffered from mental illness uh, apparently had little or no... Uh, hesitation or resistance to the idea of you writing this book, but your oldest son, Matt, uh, who has not had any mental illness at all, uh, he was the one who really had a big problem with this, and and you give us some sense that he has a big problem with it to this very day. I mean, a problem with you writing this book at all. Yeah, that's right. I think it's, it's a very complicated uh, situation, uh, and I think uh, mixed up with the book is the fact that uh, I was divorced about three years ago, uh, right in the midst of all the problems with the kids. It wasn't good timing, but as we know, um, these things can't be timed very well. I, I, I hasten to point out that the marriage was on the rocks long before the kids got sick, and uh, it wasn't the illnesses that, that doomed the marriage, but nevertheless, it, it fell apart at the same time that the kids were having problems. And I think um, all of the kids, to some extent, have tried to wrestle, are still wrestling uh, with the divorce. And so the book has become, you know, their their feelings about the book have been wrapped up with their feelings um, about the divorce. I think particularly so in the case of my oldest son, who um, who... You know, oddly enough, and I've heard the same from other families, uh, seemed to be the one, even though he was older, having the most trouble trying to uh, cope with the divorce. And I think um, the book was an easy target uh, for him as he tries to sort those things out. So I'm confident that he and I will rebuild our relationship and that things will get better. But, um, you know, he was also under a tremendous amount of strain. I have the three children, you know, one with bipolar disorder, one with depression. And my oldest son's diagnosis, I usually say, is being the brother of, of the other two, it's very difficult uh, for the quote-unquote healthy sibling in, in families that are dealing with the mental illness. And they're often the overlooked and ignored uh, party. And I, I'm afraid um, I had my hands so full with the other two kids for a number of years that, that, that Matt didn't get the kind of attention from me that he should have received. And it's very clear to me now, unfortunately, he wasn't wasn't clear to me at the time, so that's another issue that the two of us have to work on together. That brings to mind another difficulty among many which uh, emerged in all of this, which is that your son Alex was the first to become mentally ill, mm -hmm. and not terribly long after that, uh, your daughter Alicia begins to uh, exhibit signs of, of some very serious mental problems. Right. And one of the possibilities of, is, of course, the fact that uh, your understandable neglect of Alicia while you're trying to deal with very serious problems with Alex could have conceivably been some kind of contributing factor. And certainly she had that sense, that impression, that sh that that you and, and your wife at the time were, were not really paying a whole lot of attention to her and to what she was facing, the kind of demons she was confronting. That now in retrospect must, must seem like a, a situation that was... Uh, um, 
just unavoidably going to lead to some sort of terrible trouble. Yeah, I, uh, let me pause for a moment just to say, Greg, thank you for, uh, obviously you've read the book very closely and carefully, and, and you've picked up on a very important point, I think. Um, the Yeah, when Alex first got sick, it was such a difficult thing to handle. Basically, you know, a lot of the symptoms of bipolar disorder are what looks like really bad behavior on the part of a kid. You know, huge emotional outbursts, running out of the house and threatening not to come back, and, uh, you know, incredible outbursts in school, um, a whole series of things that are very, very difficult to deal with and happening frequently and unpredictably, and, and particularly in the early years when we didn't yet know what was going on. It took a long time to to discover that this was bipolar disorder. And I remember thinking often during that period, you know, thank goodness that the other two kids are okay because I don't know what I'd do if one of the others uh, needed my help. And and uh, the joke was on me, and the, the, the sort of, uh, you know, the sad joke was on me, was that uh, Alicia did need help, and as she wrote in her uh, uh, journal that she kept at the time, which you're referring to, she said she didn't say anything about her problems because her brother's problems, as she wrote it, uh, seemed so much louder than her problems. And uh, so that, you know, again, as, I, as I'd said before, there were a lot of things I did wrong um, as, as this situation was unfolding in the family, and that was certainly one of them, not to try to pay more attention to both of the kids, and particularly Alicia, who was developing problems that I was unaware of. Um, and many, many families, I think, uh, the, the, it was a surprise to me at the time, but I've talked to so many families now, many families, in fact, have more than one child with uh, with a psychiatric illness. I just uh, met a woman. I was um, in Washington talking to some people to try to try to promote more help for these kids and their families and met a, a mother who has three children with bipolar disorder. Um, this isn't too unusual. I mean, it's unusual to have three, but it's not unusual to have more than one. Uh, you know, and we know why that is, because a big piece of these illnesses is a genetic piece that runs in families. And so... In my case, you know, Alex and Alicia clearly had a sort of different uh, response to those genes, the one with bipolar disorder and one, Alicia, with depression. But um, uh, clearly there are family things that, uh, that will often lead to more than one kid in the families, which really deepens the, the difficulty that parents have. It really is a very, very difficult thing for parents to handle one, and when they have more than one, it's, uh, it's overwhelming. One of the things that was a real learning experience for you, of course, was in coming to grips with with the whole field of psychiatry and the the, the, the realm of mental illness, which, uh, as you explained to us, is not nearly so cut and dried as something like, I don't know, botany or something right. where, I mean, the, the numbers all just kind of add up and line up. And and uh, it is not nearly so, so tangible a thing we're dealing with, of course, when we're talking about uh, the, the human mind and its uh, disorders. You say at one point diagnoses overlap and flow into one another, blurring like the colors on an artist's palette. That tells us so much about the intangibility of all this, uh, which was small comfort to, to you and, and your wife in, in trying to deal with this, with the succession of psychiatrists, each one making a different diagnosis, trying to come to grips with just what was exactly going on with Alex and with Alicia. Um, looking back now, some of the critical things you have to say about some of the care which your children received. 
to, to any significant extent, is that just due to the, the nature of the beast? Is that relatively unavoidable when we're talking about uh, psychiatric disorders? No, it shouldn't be. Un- it is avoidable. Um, and in fact, if uh, parents are fortunate enough to get their kids to a major medical center, uh, you know, to the National Institute of Mental Health, to, you know, any of the big uh, prestigious medical centers in the big cities, uh, they're going to have a very different experience because many of those psychiatrists will be much more attuned to new research and to the subtleties of the diagnosis. I've had uh, many research psychiatrists tell me that, you know, making these diagnoses and separating one disorder from another is rather straightforward if they've had a lot of experience with kids with these illnesses. But as I mentioned, uh, you know, in the community, things are much, much different. Uh, the first, you know, the first psychiatrist we took Alex to was an adult psychiatrist because there were no child psychiatrists on the preferred provider list. Uh, you know, I remember walking into the psychiatrist's waiting room, and it was a, a room full of middle-aged, uh, sort of sad-looking people with their eyes downcast uh, on chairs waiting for their appointments. Um, and I don't know when this psychiatrist had ever seen an uh, uh, adolescent uh, before. Uh, he talked to Alex for about 15 minutes, uh, talked to Alex's mother and me for about another 15 or 20 minutes. That filled up the 45-minute appointment, and he prescribed Alex a drug that immediately threw him into a manic episode and wound up with Alex being taken away by the police and, and in the hospital. So not only was it the wrong diagnosis and it didn't help him, it actually made things worse. And unfortunately, we went through a couple of more cycles of this. Alex was later diagnosed with ADHD by a psychiatrist who saw only kids with ADHD. So every kid who walked in the door, presumably, was, you know, there was a 90% likelihood this was going to be an ADHD kid before he'd even, you know, and he talked to Alex for 15 minutes, gave him Ritalin, and threw Alex into another mania back in the hospital again. Mm. So um, there is a series of problems. Uh, number one is that many, many psychiatrists are not well-trained enough, even child psychiatrists not well-trained enough in these illnesses. Don't keep up with the literature. I think the psychiatric care in this country is abysmal, and I have no hesitation in, in saying that. I wish it weren't so, but that's what it is. Paul Rayburn's book is called Acquainted with the Night, A Parent's Quest to Understand Depression and Bipolar Disorder in His Children. Uh, the book goes on to chronicle the rest of their story, and fortunately, both of his children are doing much better now. Uh, the book is published by Broadway Books. I'm Gregory Berg.